The next case was presented by Dr. Alan Astral. The patient is 61. In 1994, so that's 14 years ago, she developed a left breast cancer with two positive nodes. She was treated with adjuvant AC, followed by tamoxifen for five years. She was in fine until 2002, so that's eight years after her initial diagnosis, when she presented with a left lung mass. She had a biopsy, and it was proven to be metastatic breast cancer. At that point, she was started on Femora. She did well until early 2005, when she had progression in her left hilum and mediastinum and was symptomatic. At that point, she was treated with radiation therapy and Facildex. I first saw her in November of 2005 when her previous oncologist retired. She had just had a CAT scan which showed progressive disease in her lung. Can you talk a little bit about that initial meeting? It seems like a difficult kind of situation for you to be walking in on. Yes, this has been someone who's been followed by another doctor from 1994 to 2005, so 11 years. And my first visit, her first visit with me, I had to tell her that her CAT scan was not good. She was also having increasing symptoms in her lung. So yes, it was not the ideal first introduction to a patient. What was her lifestyle like, and how had she been doing with metastatic disease? She's been living with it with very few symptoms. She works as a teacher's aide in a public school in Brooklyn to elementary school students. What was her state of mind? When I first saw her, she was not happy when I told her the results of the scan, but her main interest was knowing what the next thing to do was. So I want to get to the issue about the decision that Alan faced at that point and subsequently. But before I do, I want to just take a step back, and it's almost a continuation of what we talked about with the first case in terms of the long-term history of ER-positive disease. Because if you look at this case, what you see is that she was a lady who got five years of tamoxifen and then developed metastatic disease three years later, having not received an AI. And so the question is, is it possible that this could have been avoided? Not that anybody did anything wrong. I don't know where the data was at that point, but just looking at the biology of the disease. So, Alan, at that point, you were facing a lady with progressive disease. What did you do? Yes, it was my first meeting with her. And just going back to that first meeting, what I find helpful is I like Robert Buckman's Spikes protocol. I find it a very useful way to think about how to give bad news take a deep breath, and I just find going through that setting, perception, you know, what does the patient understand, invitation, what do you want to know, knowledge, emotion, empathize with the patient, and we have a strategy. That's what I tend to do, and I think Robert Buckman has made a major contribution with that particular approach. So I offered her treatment with Zolota at that point. And what happened? She was on Zolota for five months, and then she came in late one afternoon, acutely short of breath, and I found out she was in tamponade. And she was admitted to the hospital and had a pericardial window. And at that point, I had to decide what to do next. So once she stabilized, where was the disease and what was her situation? The pericardial fluid was cytologically positive for metastatic breast cancer. So again, she's got disease in her lung, in her mediastinum, now in her pericardium, possibly in her liver. That was the extent of her disease. But once the window has been placed, she has relatively few symptoms. Okay, so let's ask the faculty in terms of systemic therapy at this point. What chemotherapy do you think you would likely recommend, and would you add Bev in on top? 
Julie, how would you be thinking through this situation and these two questions? Well, I think the key is how much disease does she have here? How active is it? Did she really progress? Was this pericardial tamponade really a progression on the Cape Cytobine? At some point, I don't think it would be crazy to go back to the tamoxifen again. She was several years off of it before she had a relapse. So I just throw that out. With respect to chemo here, she's never seen a taxane. I, in the metastatic setting, like the albumin-bound paclitaxel, giving that weekly. I would generally try to add bevacizumab early. I'd prefer it in a first-line situation, and I would add it here if I'm giving chemotherapy as my next step. Antonio? In my own setting at Hopkins, we actually are limited to the FDA label of bevacizumab. So in this situation, I actually would have used baclitaxel as my first drug of choice for this case. And if I were considering bevacizumab at some point, I actually my hand would have been forced that I would have to use it in that setting. So it could be a situation where I may even start, I assume she had no other evidence of disease whatsoever, just the pericardial effusion. And lung. She had lung metastasis lung, she had as lung well. Metastasis, so yes. I think actually that clinches the case. I probably with visceral disease, I would definitely have started her own paclitaxel and bevacizumab. If she had only the pericardial effusion, then the debate, now she's quote-unquote without any evidence of disease or at least control disease, one could argue maybe start just paclitaxel alone and maybe add bevacizumab later. John? Well, we don't have NAB paclitaxel in Europe yet, so that part of the decision is easy. I think this lady should have a taxane. To me, the data at present would suggest that there's a rough equivalence between weekly paclitaxel and three-weekly docetaxel in the treatment of metastatic disease. I would probably add in Avastin, once we were certain that she wasn't at risk for postoperative bleeding from her window and when things were stable, we now have data for Avastin in two randomized trials. One presented at ASCO this year, the Avado trial from Dr. David Miles, in addition to the previous American trial with paclitaxel, and they both show an enhanced effect of taxane therapy when Avastin is added, and I think it is a reasonable standard to give in that setting. The magnitude of the benefit was smaller than was seen in the paclitaxel trial, and if one is, as I am, and I'm possibly conflicted on the subject, a docetaxel fan and aficionado, one would argue that single-agent docetaxel presented a somewhat sterner control group than paclitaxel did in the two comparisons, and that may well be the difference, while statistically significant for docetaxel, was numerically far less than it was in the paclitaxel trial from the addition of Avastin in both cases. Kevin, how are you thinking through cases like this in terms of choice of taxing, whether you're being in BEV? We have some institutional boundaries that have not been imposed upon us, maybe as much as Antonio has had to endure, but we have imposed them a little bit upon ourselves. We've tried not to use bevacizumab in any setting other than first-line therapy. Here, it's not so much our hands would have been tied, but we would have been disinclined to try it. The taxane that we've gotten in the habit of using more often than not is abraxane, nabpaclitaxel, because we have found it to be efficient for patients. The time commitment that they have to give is less, which in Philadelphia is a big deal, I guess. And the toxicity, I think, is very favorable. We're not, conversely, not big fans of docetaxel because the dose at which it is often given in clinical trials at 100 milligrams per square meter every three weeks, I think, is a little harsh. We have not generally added bevacizumab to a chemotherapy regimen when that chemotherapy has failed. I think there may be logic in doing that. There's no data to support doing that. And the only other thing I wanted to say about this case is I just wondered if anybody had an experience with the risk, specific risk of bevacizumab with respect to bleeding in someone whose pericardium had been violated and how long it is appropriate to wait 
because I've never been confronted with that situation. I really wouldn't know what to do, but I certainly would be a little skittish about giving this particular woman bevacizumab for some time. So let's follow up with the patient. What happened? I gave her weekly paclitaxel with bevacizumab. And how did she do? She did well. I, at first, I did worry about the pericardial window, so I waited two months before I gave her the bevacizumab. She had no toxicity from that standpoint. I had her on it for six months. She then began to develop peripheral neuropathy symptoms and headaches. And so at that point, I stopped all treatment and just left her without any therapy.